Friends, we'll be in Luke chapter 12 today, so if you have a Bible there, feel free to turn to Luke 12. Starting in verse 32, I'll read this section and pray for us, and then we will hear some good news. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to those in need. Make for yourself wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps lit. Be like people waiting for the, a wedding celebration, for, for their master to come home from a wedding celebration who can immediately open the door for him when he arrives and knocks on the door. Happy are those servants whom the master finds waiting up when he arrives. I assure you that when he arrives, he will dress himself to serve. Seat them at the table as honored guests and wait on them. Happy are those whom he finds alert, even if he comes at midnight or just before the dawn. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have allowed his home to be broken into. You also must be ready. Because the human one is coming at a time when you don't expect him. Today, friends, into Jesus' world that was convulsing with violence, that was seething with, with anxiety and hate and worry and doubt, Jesus declared this good news to his disciples. He said, don't be afraid. Wake up. It's all a gift. Don't be afraid. Wake up. It's all a gift. Money Magazine puts out a yearly list of the top places to live in the U.S. They've been doing this for almost a decade now. Other publications like USA Today and U.S. News and World Report, they've copied this, but Money Magazine puts out uh, top usually top uh, 50 or 100 places to live, and then they kind of break it down, actually. They've, they've started to do top you know, 20 places to raise kids, top 20 places to start a business, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, in 2017, two local Indianapolis suburbs were in the top 20 of best places to live in America. Did you know this? This is pretty incredible. Carmel, Indiana, came in at number 16 in 2017. Yay, Carmel. Good job, little fellas. Uh, Fishers in 2017 checked in at number one. What, what? In 2018, Carmel was up to number three. So that means, up to number three. So that means in 2017, 2018, two of the top five cities in America were within a 30-mile radius of where you're sitting right now. This is based upon economic opportunity, schools, safety, arts, nature, uh, the economy, real estate. Congratulations. We live in the best America has to offer. Yesterday, there were at least two mass shootings in America. Do you know that? The last 24 hours or so. 
One happened in El Paso, Texas, where a young white guy from, purportedly from Dallas, drove to El Paso, walked into a Walmart, opened fire, at least 20 people dead, wounding 26th. The suspect told police, quote, I wanted to shoot as many Mexicans as possible. The second shooting happened early this morning. Unidentified shooter at this time opened fire near a nightclub in Dayton, Ohio, just down the road. Killed at least nine people, injuring 26. There hasn't been a motive yet identified or any sort of more information this time. The 20 mass killings in the U.S., that's where four or more people are killed at a single incident. 20 mass killings in 2019 that preceded this claimed 96 lives, and these two claimed at least 29. Our world is convulsing with violence. Seething with fear and hate. And sometimes it's hard to notice because Money Magazine thinks we have it pretty good around here. Today, our gospel reading speaks to our world of fear and violence, of scapegoating and worry, of greed and consumption. Mass shootings and Money Magazine can make us feel as though the Bible has nothing to say to us. It can seem so distant, so far away, so ancient, out of touch, out of date. And yet, friends, I want to contend that the same relational spiritual dynamics that we see played out in Dayton and El Paso and Fishers and Carmel are the same as we see in Luke 12. Today, into our world of convulsing violence that's seething with anxiety, We declare the good news. Don't be afraid. Wake up. It's all a gift. God is pleased to give you everything you think you've lost, everything that feels threatened. And God is pleased to give you everything you're afraid you'll never get. He's pleased to give you everything you're anxious and afraid about. Luke 12, our reading today, Jesus is teaching his disciples. In the beginning of the chapter, it says, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. But there's two other audiences that are present that we have to talk about because we miss why Jesus is saying what he's saying if we don't have the full picture in mind. The first is there's legal experts and Pharisees around. Jesus uh, had just completely owned them at the end of chapter 11. And they are angry. Cranked up. Like your new puppy peed on the floor for the 10th time today, cranked up. That's just a little slice of life in the tubby house right now. He has just condemned them at the end of chapter 11, given them the what for and then some. And we're told at the end of chapter 11 in verse 53, 
the legal experts and Pharisees began to resent him deeply. This is a seething, loathing, grinding of teeth. Like, it's hard, it's really hard for us to, to sort of existentially experience this. But they, they, they uh, absolutely loathed him. And to ask him pointed questions, they began to ask him pointed questions about many things. They plotted against him, trying to trap him in his words. So they are being with him to accuse him out of resentment. Now, they resented him for two reasons. One, well, I'll get to that in a second. Notice then in chapter 12, here's one of the reasons they resented him. When a crowd of thousands upon thousands had gathered so that they were crushing each other, This is literally a picture of people killing each other to be near Jesus. Thousands upon thousands. Think of like a soccer mob, you know? Think of the infield at the 500. Like just this huge mass of humanity, probably less tube tops in Jesus' day as you get at the 500, but you know what I'm saying. Like there's this massive crushing of people wanting to, sorry for the tube, Sorry for two tops. Wanting to be with Jesus. You see, Jesus, and the reason that made the religious leaders mad is because Jesus had what the religious leaders wanted. Jesus had what the religious leaders wanted and what they used to have. Jesus had the honor, the esteem, the affection of the people. This was huge in Jesus' day, and it's different in our day. So, for instance, I'm, I'm here uh, because my friend Nate Pyle asked me to come and preach today. And uh, we live in a culture where you can like both Nate and me. You're free not to like me. I'm not fishing for likes, but I'm just saying, you're free to like both Nate and me. Nate isn't shamed if I preach better than him. Maybe you should check that out. Nate, if you're listening. In, an, in a culture like Jesus' day, honor and shame are a zero-sum game. So that means if Nate invites me to come preach here in Jesus' day, I need to do a good job so I don't dishonor Nate. But I can't do too good of a job because then I'll shame Nate. Does that make sense, how that works? It's really tricky. It's really weird. There's a lot of relational dynamics that work in Jesus' day that are different in our day, right? That are different in our day. So you can honor both Nate and I at the same time. He's not a threat to me. I'm not a threat to him. But in Jesus' day, you either, the honor was this, this one little uh, bank account, and uh, Jesus kept getting honor from the, uh, the crowds, which means the religious leaders kept losing honor, losing it. Losing it. Zero-sum game. Zero-sum. So Jesus had three things then working for him that put him in the crosshairs of the legal experts and Pharisees. The thousands upon thousands who were crushing each other weren't doing it to see the religious leaders, they were doing it to see Jesus. They gave their honor and esteem to Jesus. Before Jesus was on the scene, guess who got that honor and esteem? The religious leaders. Jesus was a threat to their privilege and power. 
Jesus was marginalizing the religious leaders because he was getting more honor than they were. Number two, Jesus himself explicitly condemns the religious leaders and Pharisees and legal experts, right? So he's actively throwing shade at them. And third, every time they tried to get honor back in front of the crowds, this is why they asked him all these questions. It was an honor game, right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hey, let's say a man has a wife and he dies and then she marries his brother and then they, six more brothers and they all die. All these questions are meant to get Jesus, uh, hey, uh, should we pay uh, taxes to Caesar or not? All these questions are meant to shame Jesus, to trap him, to trick him so that they get honor back. And every time they enter into these conversations, Jesus wins. So Jesus is more popular, and they used to have that popularity. Jesus is actively condemning them, and every time they try to get it back, they lose more of it. No wonder they're cranked up. No wonder they're angry. They were a privileged people used to being on top of the social hierarchy, and Jesus displaced them. They were, for the first time, disenfranchised, and marginalized in importance. Jesus is this guy from a questionable area of Israel, Galilee, who was rumored, by the way, to be secretly of mixed race. Did you know that? Did you know there was a rumor going around after when the Gospels were written that Jesus' uh, mother was raped by a Roman soldier and that was, that was how he was conceived? Yeah. We don't know if it was actually going on in Jesus' life, but we do know that there were questions not just about Jesus' progeny, but also because Galilee was itself known to be uh, this Torah-breaking place, uh, riddled, infested, you could say, with people who didn't take God seriously. Real bad hombres came from Galilee. Lots of violent revolutionaries came from Galilee. In fact, dozens of them in the hundred years or so before Jesus, Maccabean revolt and other revolts arose from Galilee. So, to review, people from Galilee didn't keep Torah as closely as people in Jerusalem. There was no temple there, for instance. They intermingled with Gentiles. They were unclean, possibly intermarried. You should be gasping right now. This is, this is awful stuff, people. And then here's this guy, Jesus, from nowhere, with no pedigree, gaining all the power. Jesus had what they used to have, and they wanted it back. He was gaining, they were losing. He was increasing, they were decreasing. Notice the same dynamic happened with Jesus' cousin, John. There's that famous passage where John says, he must increase, I must decrease. You remember that? Some of you will want to, all-stars will remember that. And, and John recognized it and said, God bless that. The same dynamic was happening here, and the religious leaders said, over my dead body. Today, friends, into uh, our world, convulsing with violence and seething with anxious hate, we declare the good news. We don't have to be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. Wake up. It's all a gift. God's pleasure is to give you everything, everything that you're angry about that you think you're losing. And God's pleasure is to give you everything that you're anxious about that you'll never get. So if the religious leaders are angry, the crowd, the thousands upon thousands, they're anxious. Notice they both start with A. You tracking with me? This is like a preacher's, I'm letting you know on a preacher's secret here. Alliteration makes it truer and more memorable. Jesus had all these people hanging on his words. They're crowding in to hear him. But Jesus is tending to his disciples. I already said this, right? Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Jesus is preaching. So get, you have to get this picture in mind or else Jesus' teachings here don't, don't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus is sitting because that's how Jews taught. His disciples are crowded around him sitting too. And then you have a wall of people in every direction, watching. It's like theater, okay? Not only do you have them all watching, you have people jostling to get in front. Uh, there's an old Monty Python movie that makes joke about this, right? Because uh, there's a Sermon on the Mount and the people are listening and they can't hear right and blessed are the cheesemakers. You guys might maybe look it up um, later. But they're trying to listen. They're trying to hear. It's not for them, but they're trying to get what they don't have, which is Jesus. So you have the religious leaders trying to get back what they've lost. You have the crowds trying to get what they've never had, the honor that comes from associating with Jesus. And it's all happening as Jesus is just trying to disciple his people, his 12 or 70. You tracking now? Yeah. So Jesus says, uh, he goes through this teaching in chapter 12. I won't go through uh, all of it. But something interesting happens in verse 13. Someone from the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this is uh, one of the thousands upon thousands. This has also happened back in chapter 11 and verse 27. Somebody just interrupts Jesus and shouts, Hey, do this thing for me! Do me a solid, Jesus! Right? And Jesus takes us, uh, so he says, Tell my brother to, to do, to do uh, right by me. And Jesus takes the opportunity to teach on greed. And then we get to our text. All right? So you've got a crowd that keeps interrupting Jesus. Religious leaders seething, listening, trying to, they're probably there too, listening to test and trap Jesus. And then we get to verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock. Because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. The legal experts and Pharisees are angry. The crowds are anxious. And Jesus tells his people, his little flock, tells us. Don't be afraid. And all those things you think you need, my Father delights to give them to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And then he says, stay awake. Wake up. Be alert. Be ready. 
these, so these teachings, sell and give away all you have. Invest in treasure that can't be taxed or depreciate or lose interest. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Jesus is instruct, he's not giving us commands that we have to obey. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I think it's a better way to look at it to say, this is the way you live non-anxiously. <laughs> this is how you don't give dominion to anxiety. So this is how you obey my command. Here's, here's the wise way to live. Be dressed for service. Keep your lamps lit. Waiting for the door. Stay alert. All this, uh, all, all this stuff typically gets lumped into, here's how you prepare for the end times. But Jesus was living in a crazy, hostile, contentious political environment. I think his teaching even if it could apply to the end times, is more appropriately applied to his present context. Don't get dragged into this crowd anxiety stuff. Don't get wrapped up in this honor game that everybody's playing. But be ready. Keep your lamps lit. Stay dressed. Watch the door. Be alert. Wake up, sober-minded, fully awake. And what will happen is this. When you see me, I'll come and serve you. This is the kind of Lord I am. I'll serve you. I'll serve you. Friends, today we proclaim the good news that we don't have to be afraid. We can wake up and realize it's all a gift. All the things that we're angry because we think we've lost them or anxious because we'll never get them, it, God is pleased to give us that in his kingdom. Will we receive that today? Will we be awake and appreciate what's already been given? So I said, I contended at the beginning that this text actually sheds light on and is applicable to our own world today. So let me say a little bit about that. We are seeing the last days of white hegemony in America. It's dying. We, we, we elected a black president. How did that happen? We are seeing the last days of white hegemony in America and there are white people who don't like that. They're angry. You know why? Because they're losing power. That always makes people angry. When somebody has power and privilege and something comes along that marginalizes and sidelines them, they begin to get angry. Humans is as humans does. And so when they are losing power, what they do is they stoke the fires of fear and anger. The shooter in El Paso allegedly posted a four-page document online minutes before he began shooting. The manifesto espouses white nationalistic and racist views. It rails against immigrants and Hispanics, blaming immigrants and first-generation Americans for taking away jobs and for the blending of cultures in the U.S. Now, even if it comes out that actually this manifesto isn't from him, There are other people saying these things in our world today, are they not? 
Friends, we live in the same cultural situation as Jesus. The haves, those of us who live in Fishers and Carmel, I live in Fishers, by the way, just down the road. We tend to be afraid of losing the power and privilege of what we have. We tend to be here because we know we're number one or number three, and we don't want to be number 300. Our place, we will not be tempted. We are afraid, we are tempted to lose power and privilege. So we have a choice, Christians. We have a choice. Will we be tempted to vilify and scapegoat those from other places? Those from Galilee? Those from Mexico? Will we perceive them as a threat? Or will we not be afraid and wake up and realize it's all a gift? That our, that our Father delights to give us his kingdom and no one can take that from us. The choice is that or to use the same logic to see people the same way that was the logic the religious leaders used to kill Jesus. One is the kingdom, one isn't. Maybe you're here today and you need to repent of being caught up in the anger and fear of this prevailing and pervasive white nationalistic ideology. I bring this up because uh, I assume because you're in church today that uh, you either are Christian or are friendly with Christians. And there are other ideologies that are wreaking havoc in our world today. Take your pick. Right? Uh, But there's one or two that are preying upon and stoking the fear of Christians more than any others. And one of them is this white nationalistic supremacy. So I'm speaking to Christians today. As a Christian. Who lives where you live. Maybe we need to repent of the anger and fear that we have of losing power and privilege. If you think I'm getting political, you're right. (laughs) This is kingdom of God politics I'm talking about. Jesus might ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, but this has nothing to do with donkeys and elephants. Has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Won't you repent today? Turn from your anger and fear. Don't be afraid. Wake up. Everything you're afraid of losing, it's all given to you as a gift. You don't have to kill, vilify, scapegoat, punish. It's all been given to you. Just stay alert. Stay awake. Look for the master. Let him serve you. Maybe uh, you're here today and you're anxious about uh, keeping what you have or adding more. You're, you're one of the thousands upon thousands that's crowding in, looking to Jesus maybe to get justice or enhance your profile, to get some tips on living your best life now. Can I get a witness? Won't you repent today too? Won't you repent today too? Jesus is better than that. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to offer himself to be used by you. He actually wants your life. Actually, he says, don't be afraid. Wake up. Receive this. Don't hustle for it. 
I don't care about your resume, your CV, your address, your zip code, your lawn. Just receive this. Receive it. God delights to give you everything you're anxious about not having. Let's pray. God, we do uh, call upon your righteousness and peace and justice to be worked out in the communities in El Paso and Dayton. I'm really, uh, Lord, right now as I pray, I'm really in touch with the fact that at one point, uh, Columbine was Fishers. At one point, the community where Sandy Hook Elementary was, was Carmel. And so, God, we don't, uh, we don't want to win, and we don't want to demonize the people that are doing this violence, but we want everyone to be saved here. Save us from the fear of losing power and privilege. Save us from the anxiety of never having what others have. But God, give us faith to stay awake, wake up, and to appreciate your kingdom, to receive it, to live in it. Jesus, be Lord. We need your kingdom more than ever. Make peace. Stop the hate. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.